Hi, friends. Welcome to the Adventuring Solo podcast. I'm so glad that you are listening today because this is a very special episode. Today's episode covers so many seasons of life, and we are interviewing my longtime friend, Leslie Bolt, who has a beautifully redemptive story of singleness, marriage, divorce, and then remarriage. I wanted to explain that before we recorded, Leslie was going to have her two-year-old stay with her mom while recording, but the night before, they got so much snow there in Michigan that she couldn't get to her mom's house. So you will hear her sweet little boy in the background at times making happy noises and sometimes playing. Please hang with us as you listen and enjoy. My personal journey, I feel, was like most we go to college and we're like okay I'm gonna get married and of course that's just the next step. People didn't talk about singleness being a positive thing that it was an empowering thing. I wish that I had had adults in my life back then that would have told me you don't have to be married to have a fulfilling awesome life. friends, we are back with the Adventuring Solo podcast and as we start January, we're excited to get started with our podcast and our guest today. So I'm going to hand this on over to Yvonne and she's going to open us up. Hi guys, welcome back to Adventuring Solo and we have an awesome guest for you today who is an old friend of mine. She and I went to school at Anderson University in Indiana. So if we have any friends from AU listening, we want to say hello to you. Angie and Leslie and I actually all went to school together, but they are just meeting each other for the first time today, which is kind of interesting and fun. Um, I would love to tell you a little bit about my friend Leslie. She and I met, what year do you think it was? My junior year, I feel like. Yeah. Were you a yeah, year younger than me, I think? I was. Yes. And she and I met when we went on a trip to Mexico, which was really cool to get to meet each other on a missions trip. And we got to serve in Mexico together. And then after that, it was just on. We were just instant friends. And then kind of an interesting thing is that after I graduated, my sister started at AU, and she and Leslie became really, really good friends. So she is friends with both of the Wheatley sisters, which is pretty fun, and um, yeah. wanted to have Leslie here on the show today because she has quite a story for um, you listeners, and I just know that God is going to speak through her today. Um, she has a story of singleness. She has a story of marriage. She has a story of um, going through divorce and then being single again and then being married again as well. So I would love for y'all to hear her story because it applies to so many people in so many different ways. So um, yeah, Leslie, I would love for you to just share your story with us. Thanks. Thanks so much, Angie and Yvonne. It's a pleasure to be here, and I love the work that you ladies are doing uh, with this podcast. So I uh, was your typical Christian young woman and was praying for my godly husband, believing for um, exceedingly abundantly more, and uh, didn't meet him in a Christian college like most of us hope we do, but I did end up meeting my uh, my husband in seminary 
and um, did all the things that you're supposed to do, right? Had a, a pure courtship, waited until we were married for intimacy, um, prayed and fasted before we started dating, had mentor couples and pastors speak into our relationship. And so we were married um, in January of 2006. Oh my goodness, ironically today, January 7th, is my was my anniversary. Whoa. <laughs> so uh, that's, wow, it's a little ironic. Hmm. Uh, I was 25 when we got married, so relatively young. And my husband was actually 35. So we, there was a 10-year age difference. And everyone had always said to me, you know, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. And for us, marriage was hard. And I just always thought this is what people meant. So probably about every six weeks, we would have a good old-fashioned blowout in our relationship. And I just figured that was normal. Um, one of us would end up sleeping on the couch. There'd probably be um, some yelling and some hurt feelings and lots of tears. And that was pretty normative for us for about 10 years. We had a lot of issues around um, calling. We both felt called to ministry. Um, but there was a lot of tension around whose call came first and second and um, what that looked like even. Um, God continued to open doors for me in ministry and close doors for my former husband. Um, you know, come to find out later down the road, I realized that my husband had a pretty significant pornography addiction. And I do believe that that, in many ways, was a hindrance to the Lord opening doors for ministry for him. Mm -hmm. But over those 10 years of God continuing to advance my territory and give me greater positions of influence, uh, speaking opportunities, my former husband just felt less than, less than, and less than. And... Um, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. We actually had a vow renewal ceremony. <laughs> and I was given a, a, a new wedding band even. And that was in January. And then the following May, my former husband told me that he wasn't happy. And he didn't know if he wanted to be married anymore. <laughs> and I remember having this conversation I remember it vividly. My husband had been distant for quite some time, and I just figured this was another one of our every six weeks, although it had gotten closer and closer together, um, of our blowouts. And I, I pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. And it's like, I, I just need you to tell me what's going on. Like, why are you so distant? You won't touch me. You won't talk to me. Um, you know, we had not been intimate in several years. Um, and he said, I'm not happy. I don't know if I want to be married anymore. And I said, are you leaving me? And he said, everything's on the table. And I remember just being absolutely paralyzed because that was never even an option for me. Mm -hmm. um, my former husband and I were both devoted Christ followers. We had spent our entire marriage in ministry together. We had mentored other young couples and 
the idea of divorce was never an, even an option for me. And so to think that he was entertaining that was just awful. Uh, that night I ended up sleeping on the couch. He went to work the next day and I thought, okay, he just said some silly things. It's probably going to blow over. He'll apologize and we'll move on. And he came home from work that day and I was waiting for an apology. And he said, nothing's changed, Leslie. I, I don't want the life you want. I don't want to be a pastor's wife is what he called himself. I don't want to be in your shadow anymore. And I don't even know if I want to do ministry. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'll quit my job. Um, I don't need to be a pastor. Like my covenant with you comes before my calling. And I absolutely believe that. Like my husband and I were both egalitarian and absolutely believe in women in ministry. And that comes secondary to my covenant with my husband. And he said, no, I don't want you to resent me for that. You were made to be a pastor and I want you to pastor. And I was like, I can pastor working at a bank. I can pastor anywhere. If being in a church is too difficult for you in this season, then, then I'll pass on it. Um, on a side note, I was dealing with uh, a health issue that left me in chronic pain. And we were in about year three of that. I had um, been seeking help from physicians all over the nation and coming up, coming up blank. And we'd gotten to the point where we thought that my job, which was a really high capacity job, I was working for a denomination and traveling about 90 days a year. We thought that my job was contributing to the stress of my condition. And so we had agreed that I would transition to the pastorate. So I had actually already resigned from my job and it was 30 days later that he said that he wanted to leave. So over the course of one month, I was living in chronic pain. I lost my job. I lost my health insurance. My husband was leaving me. I lost my home. Um, and I moved in with my parents at age 35. So most of those early days, I describe them as a sheer army crawl. Um, quite honestly, I took a lot of sleeping pills just because when you sleep, you don't feel. And I have never experienced pain like that before. When people talk about broken covenant and this idea of two becoming one, it's like two boards that are glued together, trying to tear them apart, like part of that one board is stuck on the other board and it's so messy. And, and I, I really got to a place where I was, I would beg him, you know, please let's give each other another chance. I signed up for therapy. He went to one therapy session, but decided not to do any more. I wanted to do an intensive um, marriage retreat, like a, a rescue center almost. He wouldn't do that. Um, I was like, I will love you and I will always love you. So the idea of being single again at 35 as female clergy in a part of the world, I'm in West Michigan, it's a pretty conservative area, was absolutely petrifying to me. Mm -hmm. I thought, who is ever going to hire me when I can't even 
hold my marriage together. Mm. Because we never had children um, in Michigan, there's only a 60-day waiting period between when you file for divorce and when your divorce can be final. My former husband told me that he wasn't happy on May 13th. He filed for divorce on June 25th, and we were officially divorced on August 25th. So it was an unbelievable whirlwind experience. Going from having a partner for 10 years to moving in with your parents, (laughs) some days I just couldn't even, I couldn't even breathe. I spend a lot of time alone, and if I'm, if I'm completely honest, those were the days of my life. If you know, I've been following God for 36 years since I was five years old, and I have never been more intimate with God than in that season. Mm-hmm. And I remember just praying, Lord, you have to take me because I, I can't live like this. I can't function. I, I have nothing. Like, I don't even know what else I can lose. My body's broken. I don't have a home. Half of all my money was then now gone. I don't have insurance. I'm in the middle of candidating for churches now having to tell them, actually, I'm going through a divorce. And even though it was unwanted on my part, I thought, who's going to believe me? You know, and I had the mindset quite honestly, before going through a divorce, that if you go through a divorce, something's really wrong with you. <laughs> I mean, it, I was raised, divorce is is a sin and it's terrible. And you just don't, you don't get a divorce. No matter what, you make it work. And I truly believe that. So the, the notion that I was going to be a divorcee at 35 Having, you know, grown up in Christian subculture and worked and ministered in the church was unthinkable for me. Yeah. I remember thinking, if your marriage fails, it definitely takes two people and you just must not have been working hard enough. Like, were you giving your husband enough attention? Were you, you know, keeping to yourself? Were you fighting over finances? I just had all of these preconceived judgments about how divorce comes about. And while I absolutely believe that divorce is a sin, and as Christ followers, we shouldn't normalize divorce, I think we need to normalize people who go through a divorce. Mm. Can I interject, Leslie, and ask how we can do that? You know, like what do you feel like is a great way that because this is very common for a lot of my clients too, that, you know, they never thought divorce would be in the, in their future. And then they find themselves there, but like you, they have judged divorce so hard themselves that they don't know how to look at it from a non judgmental space. So what do you, what, how would, how would you encourage that gone through having gone through it? I think understanding that divorce is sin like any other sin in the sense of suffering doesn't discriminate. So someone who is an addict, 
someone who chronically overeats or overspends or even lives in judgment, those type of things can happen to any Christ follower the same way that our own brokenness in relationship can happen to any Christ follower. Mm -hmm. And while I do believe that sometimes the consequences of our sin are different, you know, if I have if I have a thought life that is is broken, that usually affects me in the way I view myself. If I go through a divorce, that affects my entire life and all those around me. You know, um, I think realizing that people who go through a divorce are just like you and just like me. The same way that someone who's single hates to hear my goodness, why are you so single? You're so great is, wow, I, I can't believe that I've gone through a divorce. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, there's this, there's this tension around even embracing my own story because of the shame. I mean, I hate that divorce is part of my story. I hate it. I love my life now and I love the redemption that God has brought in every area of my life, but I hate sin and I hate Mm -hmm. brokenness Mm -hmm. and I hate that my former husband thought that that was the best answer. I had later come to find out that um, my husband was involved in an extramarital relationship and that was what kind of press the timeline for him of wanting to end our marriage so quickly. And, you know, that was devastating because he had been lying to me as well. And I just always thought that if two people loved God and loved each other, they, they could make it work. Mm-hmm. And what I learned was that, yes, if two people want to make it work, you can make it work and it may be hard as hell, but you can make it work and you can be holy and you can honor God in the process. Mm -hmm. But if one of those persons decides to stop working, there's no getting past that. Right. Mm -hmm. And while I look back and say, did I make mistakes in my marriage? Absolutely. I made mistakes in my marriage. What I'm proud to say is that I didn't give up on my marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I, I think I f- have found peace in my own story of, I know I fought for my marriage. I know I did everything I could to save my marriage. I wish I didn't go through a divorce, but mm-hmm. I also cannot control the actions of anyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. Leslie, another question. Like, I think... Um, you know, a lot of women who love someone that doesn't love them back, that can be some of the most interesting kind of work that we can do as humans is to love those who don't love us. Um, you know, can you share with our listeners what it looks like for you to still choose to think in a way that loves your ex-husband? Well, there's a lot of therapy behind that, behind that question, yeah. Angie. <laughs> yeah. And I think <clears throat> that for me, it came through forgiveness. Yeah. I, I remember talking with a girlfriend who was about a year ahead of me in the divorce process. And I wanted nothing to do with forgiveness. I wanted, yeah. I wanted him to die. I mean, that was yeah. so painful. Yes. I just wanted him to suffer. Yeah. And she said... 
Leslie, I want to invite you to every single day pray a prayer of blessing over your former husband. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you are crazy. You've lost your mind. There's no way I can do that. And she said, I know you don't believe it. But she's like, that's fine. But I want you to start praying it every single day. And I did. Yeah. And there were many days where it was completely lip service. It probably took a good year before I even felt like forgiving him. Yeah. Because when someone causes you that much pain and your whole world crumbles and you lose so much, forgiveness is not what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I had a lot of support from my family and we have addiction in my family. And so part of our story, forgiveness is huge in the yeah. recovery narrative. And I remember my dad saying to me, Leslie, forgiveness is like giving your pain away. And when I embraced that, this notion that unforgiveness was no was no longer hurting my former husband, it was only hurting me, I thought, all right, God, I've got to get there. Yeah. I think this is so good. Um, I think a lot of women who have gone through divorce don't realize that piece that they can still choose to love their ex-husband because they think that love is what causes them the pain. Mm-hmm. And really it's the it's the power you're giving them to still continue to have a hold of your emotions is what is really key there. So really releasing that person and the best way to release that person is by choosing very intentional, amazing thoughts. Like, like he is a hundred percent lovable. Like I can still love him. Like the way that God looks at him, um, I can have eyes the way God looks at him and God can look past all of the brokenness and see, you know, who he made him to be. And like, it's so powerful for someone who has been divorced to choose to look at their ex in that way. It's very releasing of, uh, you know, you've heard it said like, uh, like, you know, for you to hold on to that is like you drinking poison, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's like once you realize like such great wisdom, you know, to choose to think that in that way for them, it really lets them go. And it says, you know, you don't have any, power over me. You don't have any hold over me. Like what has happened has happened. And I get to share that story the way I want to share it. Because they never, they may never come back and apologize. No. And, and you don't need that. You don't need an apology to be able to forgive someone. Yeah. And then Leslie, I encourage women to, and I'm sure you do, is like share that story in a, way that you just get to have God blowing up how he came in and sought you and saw you and, and worked in you. And, you know, God always was there. Absolutely. And, and understanding that hurt people hurt other people. And so Mm -hmm. my former husband's own brokenness is what caused him to to make destructive choices. And my own brokenness is how I act sometimes and I hurt others. And so praying for God to bring about healing and restoration in my former husband 
wanting him to live and be all who God has called him to be. Yeah. Because that brokenness is a hindrance to himself and a yeah. hindrance to the kingdom of God. Yeah. The same way my own brokenness is. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Leslie, I we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I I would imagine that as a Christian, you really wrestled through that tension between the sovereignty of God in who you married and him knowing the future and what was going to happen as well as the theology of free will and man. Do you think you could speak a little bit to that in regards to um, being like having to go through a divorce and how you grappled with all of that? Like, what did you find? I'm sure you don't have a perfect answer. I, I know, but I, I would just love to hear a little bit of your process for any listener who may be going through a divorce or has gone through a divorce and is a believer, because I know that there's so much pain in misunderstanding and wrestling with the theology of God's sovereignty and all of that. Do you have Absolutely. thoughts there? <clears throat> Absolutely. That's a wonderful series of questions, Yvonne. And I think living in the mystery of the unknown is where I've had to find peace in. I believe that if a Christ follower is truly seeking Jesus and open to the counsel of others and walking with the Lord, then the choices they make are probably not going to be outside the will of God. And what I mean by that is that people have asked me, like, do you regret marrying your former husband? And I guess I just don't know how to answer that. Um, you know, now that I've been removed from it for over five years, I, I realized that there was abuse in our marriage, that my husband, out of his own hurt, and his abuse in his past was abusive towards me. And... Looking back now in my understanding of divorce, I think I believe that I had biblical grounds to divorce him, but out of the sheer stigma and shame, I never would have left him. And when I say never, I mean never, mm -hmm. never. Mm -hmm. And so thinking, thinking back to the 10 years of our marriage when we made our vows, I mean, that at the time, it was the happiest day of my life. The spirit of God was in our ceremony. Mm -hmm. And I believe that my husband was led of the Lord in pursuing me. Mm -hmm. I also believe that we, we live in the tension of the already and the not yet in every aspect mm -hmm. of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so marriage is broken. Now, mm -hmm how we allow that brokenness to be redeemed creates the outcomes for our marriage. So had my former husband sought help for a pornography addiction, you know, had he been open to counseling, had I continued to work on my own hurts, we could have ended up in a very different place. Um, 
So do I believe that divorce is God's best? Absolutely not. Yeah. I've also really wrestled with Yvonne, though. Sometimes we have to make hard choices between not what what is right and wrong, but we have to make choices about what is the lesser of two wrongs. And what I mean by that is, does God hate divorce more than he hates abuse? Does God hate divorce more than he hates the oppression of one's gifts and calling? Does God hate divorce more than you know, living a lifetime of never truly being able to be who God's called you to be. And I don't have the answers for that. And it makes me sad. But I also find peace in that of thinking, well, Lord, what happened is tragic. And I I don't believe that if you were writing the perfect story for my life, this would not be a part of it. I believe that from this point forward, you will make something beautiful. There came a point about six weeks before I married my now husband, who I refer to as my forever husband, that my former husband contacted me and wanted to reconcile. And he apologized and confessed and said, I'm not ready to let you go. I want to get back together. And I was flabbergasted and I was so torn theologically because in my heart, I no longer had feelings for him. And I was walking in relationship with my now husband, Bert, who is wonderful. But I felt this obligation because I had made a commitment and covenant with him to go back. And I sought counsel. Oh my goodness. I talked to so many people about it. And, you know, they just kind of held up a mirror and said, Leslie, nothing's changed. He still was actually in relationship with that other woman. Um, He hadn't gotten counseling. We still had the same issues that we did before. And I was in love with someone else. And while it certainly was confusing, and I remember asking my pastor, like, what is plan A? What is plan A for my life? How am I supposed to know? And he said, Leslie, Bert is your gift of redemption to turn your back on the redemption that God has given you and go back to the unknown of what you now recognize as abuse. It's like, that is not God's best for your life. Mm -hmm. And that covenant is broken. Those vows are broken and you need, you can move forward. And another one of my pastors said, I truly believe Leslie that God's best begins wherever you start right now. And so trying to think back about what if, what could have, what should have is just going to drive you crazy. Live in the beauty of the present and enjoy the redemption that God has given you. I want to share a little bit about what it's like to be single again after you've been married. It's horrible. (laughs) Absolutely horrible. It is the worst. It is so much worse than being single the first time around. First time around, you don't know what you're missing. And you have all these ideas and ideals about marriage. And then you get used to sharing life with someone, with texting them all day. What do you want for dinner? Did you make this deposit? I'll pick up your dry cleaning. And then it's like radio silence. Mm. The sheer loneliness of it all is Mm. daunting. 
I'd have to put extra pillows in my bed just to feel warmth around me because I was used to sleeping next to my husband. Showing up places where my friends were so kind to, you know, invite me. And single people always can feel awkward when it's a mixed group. But having that partner and then showing up by yourself and having everyone else have that partner and children was so isolating. There were times that I'd try and show up socially and I would just let people know, you know, I don't know how my emotions are going to show up today. So I may lose it entirely and need to leave. And there were a few times where I did. I just thought I can't, I can't even be around this much joy because the pain was so significant. And then the nice things that people say, like, oh, you'll get remarried. Don't worry about it. You'll get remarried. Same thing they say to people who are single for a long time. I'm thinking, you don't don't know that. Yeah. And that's really not very comforting right now. (laughs) It's not comforting at all. And then the, the idea of risking vulnerability to get to know someone all over again. Oh my goodness. It's so scary. Yeah. What do you wish that people would have said, or, I mean, I hear what you wish that they wouldn't have said, but like, what would have been some better things for people to say to you in regards to like just relationships and like, did you even want to get married at the very beginning again? Or you know what I mean? Yeah, I I did. I really did. In fact, I wanted it as soon as possible because Mm -hmm. I, I was lonely and there was so much brokenness for so long that I had realized I never experienced how God intended marriage to be. And I wanted that. And then at 35, I did want children. We never had children together. Um, but I, I wanted that to be a part of my narrative and I guess Yvonne, it would have been helpful if people just saw me and just allowed me to show up however I came. So yeah. whether that was with tears, whether that was a good day, um, whether that was just bringing a girlfriend with me. Mm. Um, you know, and then there were some people that tried to spare my feelings by not like inviting me to kids' birthday parties and things. And I did gently say to them, you know, I, I would love the invitation and be able to make the decision myself. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then being in the church, of course, everyone has a nephew or cousin or grandson for you. And I had started pastoring again at a church and it was a large congregation. And so the majority of my congregation did not know that I had been married before. It was a new town. In fact, very few people knew that I had been. Um, And for me, that was actually really nice. It felt like a clean slate. And yet coming to the dating world again, having not dated in 10 years and I mean, online dating had just started back 
you know, when I was 25 and now it's everything. And I had only ever been in Christian subculture. So even interacting with men in the world was so different to me. Um, and because my former husband and I had such issues around calling, I was very upfront with my call and what it meant to me and how important that was. And so I didn't beat around the bush about that because I knew that was an issue before and it could be an issue again. And so I thought, well, not really sure who's going to want to marry a divorced female pastor, but I guess I'm just going to put myself out there and see what happens. And I went on a lot of dates. Um, I do have a season of my life I call as clergy gone wild where I just went on a lot of dates and kissed a lot of people. And I feel like that should be a reality TV show. Clergy gone clergy wild. Gone. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I had never rebelled in my life. I'd never been drunk. I'd never done drugs. Never missed a curfew. I mean, never. And so having the autonomy to act out in that way, going on a date, knowing that there was no possible future, but just wanting someone to give me attention. Mm. I knew it was wrong. I mean, I, I knew it was wrong. I had boundaries that I knew I wasn't going to cross, but I do now look back and say, it is only by the grace of God that I didn't end up chopped up in the back of somebody's car. I mean, it is scary out there. Mm. And I, I did that for about six months of just randomly going on coffee dates and making out with people. And honestly, every, every divorced woman I have talked to has done this. <laughs> like, Angie, you're nodding your head. It's kind of, I don't know. It's like a sinful rite of passage. Like, ah. I don't Especially know. if they like married, you know, like after they experienced all of marriage, it's like, right. now I know what's available to me in this intimacy area that I probably didn't know before because I was so pure. I mean, you know, yeah. and then you step into that, what you know, and then your desires are opened and then you're like, ah, that I mean, it's, I think it's different. That. Yeah. Because once you've experienced intimacy like that, you know that it's not this First base, second base, third base. It's this right. beautiful discovery that you have with your spouse. Yeah. yeah. So when you meet someone and just want to give a kiss goodnight, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and I didn't know that truly there's the expectation of deep intimacy even after yeah. one date. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. None. And I, Christian men. Like men that on their profile love Jesus, we would talk about God, but the expectation was, oh, absolutely, there will be a sexual connection. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away by that. How did that manifest itself often? Like, was it pretty, like, in the same way, like, from these guys, like, that they would uh, give you the idea that they expected it? Like, just physically, or would they say things? to you? Um, I had it both ways, Yvonne. I think when a man knows that you were married and had experienced that, Mm. a lot of times there was the assumption that you would desire that and want that. 
I mean, Christian men even who knew I was a pastor mm. and that was the expectation. Hmm. Um, and so normative. So yeah, some talk about it, some just even, you know, like flirtatious talk. And mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, Yvonne, I relished in the attention of feeling desired mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that had been so broken yes. in our marriage. Yes. And there was such a lack of physical intimacy for so long um, that I was craving that. So to feel desired by someone was, it was like a drug. Yeah. I mean, it was an, it was an absolute drug, mm-hmm. but I knew I couldn't walk in. I, I knew I couldn't walk in a relationship with anyone. So after about six months, I reached out to um, my two best friends and my sister and I started a text thread and I called each one of them and I confessed what I had been doing. Um, one of them named it clergy gone wild. And uh, they all said, you've got to be kidding me, Leslie, you have got to be kidding me. And then of course we're spiritual sisters and said, you've got to, you've got to cut that out. Like, you know, you are not walking in God's will. You know that God is not going to bless this type of behavior. And let's just be honest. Do you really think God's going to bring your forever husband when you're just out Mm -hmm. dinking around like this? No. (laughs) Mm. So Mm -hmm. I stopped cold turkey and uh, deleted all my apps, all my profiles, had a fresh start. I even, my best friend said, you need to tell your pastor. And I was like, oh no, no, I don't. I don't need to do that. Nope. There's no need for that. And she said, no, you do. You you don't need to go into details, but you need to tell him that you've been making unwise choices mm-hmm. and that you have been acting out on your grief, seeking intimacy with others. And uh, I prayed about it and she was right because I mm-hmm. thought, you know, all it takes is one accusation Um, all it takes is one man who gets upset that I call things off to email my pastor, right? Crazier things have been done. Yep. And so I did. And my pastor was incredibly gracious. Mm. Um, so gracious. I mean, I cried through the whole thing. It was him and his pastor, his wife, the pastor's wife. And he asked me, what is, what does grace mean? And I'm glad that you protect yourself. I'm glad you haven't slept with anyone. I'm glad, you know, all of those things. And he's like, I see you're now in a place to move forward in a healthy way. Hmm. That's beautiful. Wow. I'm dying. I'm dying to know how you meet your now forever husband. Yes. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) So good. So I had come to this place of, uh, putting clergy gone wild behind me. And I, uh, I basically slammed the door on any sort of dating. Cause I thought I couldn't trust myself. I just yeah. thought, you know what? I'm not at a place where I can even make good decisions right now. Mm-hmm. A ways, a ways down the road. I had a week where three men asked me out in the same week. And it sounds like a good joke because it was <laughs> it was a congregant, a male stripper, and a funeral director asked me out all in the same week. I'm not <laughs> kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Truly a male exotic dancer. Yeah. He knew clergy gone wild. 
He was walking. Apparently, he was picking up the vibes. He was he was a really nice guy. I uh, just really didn't want to go down that path. So, <laughs> I received an email from uh, a funeral director named Bert, and uh, he said that some of his colleagues were some of my congregants, and that he had been hearing good things about me, and that perhaps our stories were similar. He, uh, my husband, is also an ordained pastor and pastored for about 10 years in the local church. And his wife of 10 years uh, broke covenant and stepped outside of marriage. She had a lot, a lot of affairs, but ended their marriage. And so his former marriage ended in an unwanted divorce as well. And That's chills. Yeah, yeah. He, during that time, he made the transition out of the pastorate and went back to school to be a funeral director. And... When you get an email from a guy named Bert, who's a funeral director, like, yeah, right. I mean, are you a hundred? That just is, ugh. I mean, even now I, I laugh about like, really? Are you kidding me? Like your name is Bert and you work with dead people. It's so weird. So, <laughs> so I emailed him back very nicely and I actually... Um, solicited some help because I thought, okay, he's a really, like, he sounds like a really nice guy. I don't want to be a jerk to him, but I lovingly turned him down. And later that week I actually had therapy and my therapist had asked me, you know, how are you doing with your, your purity and your relationships with men? And I told her that week that a congregant, a male stripper and a funeral director asked me out. And she said, well, tell me a little bit about each one. And I did. And she said, so you're telling me that a man who's relatively your same age, we're four years apart, who is a pastor, so understands pastoral ministry, who obviously is okay with you being a pastor, who's been through an unwanted divorce and is on the other side now, asked you out and you said no. Mm. (laughs) And I said, well, yeah, his name is Bert and he works with dead people. And she said, Leslie, your homework this week is to go out with this gentleman and I want Mm. you to have coffee and I want you to practice making good choices. She's like, you haven't been able to do that yet. And it sounds like this gentleman would be a great way to practice. Mm. So I emailed him back thinking, oh, I'm doing him such a favor. And I was like, well, I guess if you want to have coffee, you know, we can have coffee as friends. So we ended up meeting for coffee and he came in and the first thing he said to me was, wow, you're so tall because I'm 5'11". And even looking back, that really spoke to me because so many of the other men, it was like, you're so hot, you're this, you're that. And Mm -hmm. it was just so physical. And his was just a, it was just like a friendly, warm hello, you know. So we ordered our coffee and I said, oh, would you like would you like some money? And he said, no, you can get the next one. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so sexy. Like just super confident. Like, okay, we're going to be friends. You know, we're going to be buddies. So we went for a walk and shared our stories and he was funny and witty and understanding. And, you know, I was really open about my story and he was open about his. And he said the funniest thing I said that I had 
recently come out of a clergy gone wild. And he said, oh, Leslie, you would not believe the amount of women I see naked every day. Because of the sports director. <laughs> yes. My jaw just about hit the floor. And I thought, okay, this guy's really funny. He's yeah. really funny. That's so, isn't that great? Yeah. So we had this great walk and I I told him originally, I was like, I've got an hour and then I've got to go, you know, because I wanted an out thinking this guy's going to be super lame, right? And he said, well, I better get you back. And I said, I'm having a really, really lovely time. Do you think that we could keep talking? And he said, yeah, I'm having a really lovely time too. So we ended up talking some more and he walked me to his car. And then it, that was the moment, ladies, I thought, okay, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen? What's the expectation? Yeah. And he gave me a very warm, friendly hug and said, maybe we could do this again sometime. And yeah. I said, maybe we could. So I left and I thought, well, that was unexpected. That yeah. was a lot better than I expected. And so later that night, I texted him and said, do you think that maybe could be a definitely? And he said, I was hoping that maybe it could be a definitely. Mm-hmm. So we started dating from there. We saw each other almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we got engaged six months later, and we were married 11 weeks after that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And when he proposed, he actually took me back to the same coffee shop, mm-hmm. and we went on the same walk to the same bench. And he said, I've been having such a lovely time. I was wondering if we could do this for a while longer. I was wondering if we could do this forever. And then he got down on one knee and proposed. So That's beautiful. I know that there's a little bit extra cool part of y'all's story in regards to something with more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So... When I was younger, my mom insisted that people pronounce my name Leslie instead of Leslie. And she always said, you're not less, you're more. You're not less than anyone. So she didn't, she didn't ever want me to be called less. Well, the funny thing is that Bert's first wife, her name was Leslie. So when he heard about me for the first time, he said, oh, no, 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 no. I am not going out with a Leslie. And in his mind, he had gone to seminary with some very um, strong and, and liberal female pastors. So he had a picture in his mind of what maybe I was like, the same way I had a picture in my mind of what he was like. But you then did. He, said he looked at a picture of me and thought, okay, we're going to give it a go, which <laughs> is, very, is very sweet as well. Yeah. Yeah. So on our, on our first date when we were walking, he said, do you like your name pronounced Leslie or Leslie? Because my former wife always liked Leslie. And I re- replied, I'm not less than anyone. Hmm. And he stopped and he said, no, you are not. You are more. You are oh. so much more. Hmm. So my nickname has always been more. Like I love you more as in additionally, but also more as a noun. Yeah. And one thing that one of my girlfriends said to me in the in the early days of divorce was, Leslie, everything that the enemy has stolen from you, God will redeem because God mm-hmm. always does better. 
Hmm. He just does. Everything that the locust has, has eaten away and stolen, God will give you better. Mm. I mean, even saying that now I get God bumps thinking about it because truly the immeasurably more is God, right? Is God's presence. And he does whatever the enemy steals. He just gives more and he just does better. So as Bert calls me more, I call him my better. So I love Mm -hmm. you more. I love you better. So I'm more and Bert is better. And we happen to have a son together now who is chromosomally enhanced. Our youngest son, Cohen, lives with Down syndrome, which means he has an extra 21st chromosome. So I'm more, he's better, and Cohen is extra. Mm, That's so beautiful. Isn't it awesome? (laughs) It gives me chills all over. Like, just, you know, going back to that whole tension of like the theology of God and his sovereignty man he was sovereign over your name my friend always and over your mom saying you are not less you are more like that God oh man he is just so good to bring beauty from ashes Mm -hmm. and to bring more out of pain and suffering and he is doing it And I love it how he shows up even in the littlest details. Like that is the fingerprints of God all over your life, Leslie. Leslie, not Leslie. (laughs) Yeah. and um, so true. mm, God does not disappoint ever. No. Yeah. No. I know that you – are just encouraging so many people today through your story, Leslie. And um, I hope that as you have listened, if you are going through a divorce or have gone through a divorce, we would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And um, we would love to hear any thoughts that you have. Um, and we would just love to meet you in the midst of what you are walking through. And I know that we could share, um, some of your feedback with Leslie and, um, we would just love to connect with you. So, um, as you have listened today, we hope that we hear from you listeners in regards to this story today. And we thank you so much for joining us today. Leslie, thank you so much. And we hope that you have a great day today.